0: Everybody, and welcome back to the Feeling Seen podcast. The podcast that talks about the movies that make us all feel so seen. My co-host for today is a host herself, is an actor first and foremost. Uh, actor, writer. Uh, you might recognize her from uh, Malum, which the trailer has been floating around the interwebs. And I hope you have checked it out. As we say on this podcast all the time, support independent cinema, support independent horror. And you might also know her from films such as Horn hearts, and satanic panic, uh, but Clark Wolf does a million and one things, and I will leave it to her to tell you a little bit more about what any of those things are. Clark, what else do the people need to know about you? Vital information before we get going today.
1: Oh, my gosh. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate being here. Rufus, it was, we were just talking about dogs. <laughs> uh, Rufus does, too. And... Um, so i mean gosh i don't know what the vital information may be to set up our bigger conversation today about miss mm-hmm. oh did it spoilies no uh, that's totally okay the, <laughs> get excited folks it is a millennial treasure that we are getting into today on the Feeling Scene podcast, it's miscongeniality. It is, and um, I was. What I was going to say is that I grew up in uh, a, a suburb outside of Atlanta, mm-hmm. um, and so you know, kind of having always been a, a little bit of a geeky and nerdy of nerdy interests, mm-hmm. um, I I didn't ever, I, You know, I had a ton of friends, of course, but I feeling like I fit in, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the you know suburbs. Of uh, in the south of, of Atlanta was, was sort of, um, you know, a, a big top... I'm sure something that's going to come up as we relate to and talk about this movie. And so, mm-hmm. uh, yes, I am from Atlanta originally and um, have been living in Los Angeles for... This will be my 15 year anniversary. All right, okay. And uh, I'm fortunate enough to really live a bi-coastal lifestyle and um, have a home, yeah, in Atlanta and in uh, in Los Angeles, so that I can work as an actor and a and a host and all kinds of things. So, um, yeah, it turns out where
0: you were raised is now like Hollywood South
1: it it sure is and i mean it's a gorgeous you know i remember growing up hearing about like forrest gump was shot there of course yeah. or midnight in the garden of good and evil uh, you know and and very specific titles like that like specific mm-hmm. to certain parts of the south but um but yeah now it's just it's doubling for for everywhere and yeah. there mm-hmm. are Network TV shows that are now, like, set in Atlanta, which is so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's it's really... It's been amazing to see uh, how it has changed over the last 20 years, specifically.
0: Speaking of time, Miss Congeniality is a year 2000 movie. Did you experienced this in real time when it came out, what were the circumstances under which you saw Miss Congeniality?
1: Oh, yes. My 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 mom and dad, uh, my dad for sure, took me to see this movie. Um, <laughs> and I remember specifically because he leaned over uh, at one point and said, she reminds me of you. <laughs> oh, that's nice. It was very cute. It was, it was definitely during the nerdy parts, during the parts where she had the glasses on and was falling down and um, uh, eating steaks, so um, yes, that. But I specifically remember my dad saying that to me, and uh, and and feeling that way actually. Uh-huh. And so when, you know, when she was
0: little, when she was little, Gracie on on, yes. the, and she punched two boys in the nose in the playground. Was that also reminding your dad of Clark, or was that maybe, not in
1: your bag? Maybe a little. Maybe a little. <laughs> I kind of I rewatched the movie last night, and I was just like, oh my gosh, this was what a time, what a time.
2: Forget <laughs> those guys. They're just jealous because you're smart and funny. And (laughs) girls like that. What girls? Lots of girls. I mean, I like you. Well, I don't like you. Now everybody thinks I need a girl to fight for me. You are a dork brain. Mm. Oh, Oh. Oh. ghost!
1: So yes, uh, my I did see it in the theater. I've loved this movie for almost 25 years and continue. I saw I rewatched it last night and I'm like, "No, I love this. I I, I love this movie and I have a lot of theories as to why, but I will also say Sandra Bullock is somebody who I have always admired. And I who- was going to
0: ask specifically if there was a Sandra through, like we had somebody on to talk about uh, Josie uh, from Never Been Kissed, Drew Barrymore's character, and that was Eureka, the drag queen. And it was kind of like the initial sort of pitch for what character Eureka wanted to pick was like Drew Barrymore generally, yeah. but I can talk about this movie more specifically if you want. And I wondered if there was a Sandra effect coming in at that, at that time.
1: There absolutely is. Uh, you know, I also think for me as a uh, you know as somebody who has always been interested in film and television and pop culture Mm -hmm. and somebody who's always sort of identified as as a feminist Mm -hmm. I think that watch like I've had an entertainment weekly subscription since I was like 10 or 12 years old Mm -hmm. and so learning about the business and learning that to use the example Sandra Bullock produced this movie um, Mm -hmm. and she is a credited like solo card producer this is her company, Fortis Films, mm-hmm. and you know this is this movie made well over a hundred million dollars. Uh, it was a huge hit, and I feel like it just brings together so many of her strengths as an mm-hmm. actor, as a comedian, as a storyteller. Um, and so that is something that I absolutely recognized even at the time, and um, and have always appreciated and admired about about Sandra Bullock.
0: You know what? I, I was having a conversation with somebody the other day about we were talking about how like the aesthetics of the eras, basically like how what the norms are, the way things change. And we kind of ended up localizing in on Sandra Bullock as this figure is sort of like kind of a bellwether for that change, like Sandra Bullock. a a beauty of the 90s Mm -hmm. a a beauty of now a beauty of forever but like she was absolutely one of those sort of like beautiful girl next door she was very much known for the way she could do the glow up transformation Mm -hmm. like love potion number nine beginning with like clearly like the glasses and the unibrow and the frizzled hair and then there's a whole this whole movie revolves around initially the makeover from federal agent gracie hart to like what is it? Gracie Lou
1: Freebush. Gracie Lou, Lou
0: Freebush, <laughs> Free Miss New Jersey at the Miss United States pageant where she goes undercover. And watching like watching the tenants of what glam was in 2000 through like the specific Sandra transformation that one movie to what it is now. Oh yeah. Like thinking of Sandra Bullock on a red carpet now, it's like Sandra Bullock on a red carpet now in her 50s is like the standard of glam that has just skyrocketed to inconceivable heights compared to like, what the standard of glam was, seeing 90s Sandra Bullock in her 20s on a red carpet, like, out there as a star, as an A-lister, it's like Shit, man, we've really cranked the volume up pretty high over time.
1: I was all similarly just having a conversation about... Uh, I love those retrospectives that, you know, uh, Instagram does or sometimes, like, magazines will do where they have the person mm-hmm. go through their red carpet wear. Yeah. And there's one that I remember specifically. Mandy Moore did one. Oh, and okay. I And she's so... Mandy Moore is another person who I have mm. always admired you know i i think she's so authentically herself mm-hmm. and has grown into an incredible actress mm-hmm. um i mean i i am a huge this is us fan and mm-hmm. the performance that she gives just throughout the generations is incredible. And and also her embracing herself as a singer-songwriter with a more mm-hmm. folk kind of indie edge versus, like, the pop place that she started. But mm-hmm. as a pop star who clearly very much didn't quite fit in with the Britneys or the Christinas, you know, but Mandy was always so... Um, humble and sweet and charming and then but anyway i saw her do one where she looked back at her looks and she was like i didn't have a stylist then i (laughs) was just like showing up places in life just like what was i wearing but i love the moments where you get people who are like that was before i had a stylist (laughs) and i know like i've seen Anne hathaway do something similar like and and even you know like I have been really fortunate that uh, uh, *Satanic Panic* had a actual premiere um, Mm -hmm. and and had a had a world premiere at the Overlook Film Festival, but then it did have an LA screening at the Egyptian, and there there. was was a a hoot. Yeah, and there was a red carpet, Mm -hmm. and but I dressed myself, of course, (laughs) and just looking, or or all the times that I was on camera for pick a brand, um, with the exception, reader,
0: know that know that Clark (laughs) uh, knows her way. Around a look. Like,
1: don't don't let Clark fool you right now into thinking she doesn't know her way around a look. You are a very generous host and (laughs) Uh, there are, I just look back and I'm like brush your hair why yes like why you can curl it yes but you have to brush it out it mm-hmm. looks crazy if you don't <laughs> brush it out it does look kind of crazy I mean and I didn't know that and so I'm just like the anyway uh, this so, is
0: perfect Miss <laughs> the like connective tissue right here this
1: is why I relate so much to Gracie Hart and Gracie Lou Freebush mm-hmm. uh, and uh, but anyway I uh, I always admire the humility uh, Mm -hmm. that people like especially like Mandy Moore uh, had when they do those retrospectives and and also I will say though so you mentioned the time period yeah, and I have to say that for a movie that came out in the 2000s or in 2000 and maybe it's because they specifically say in the dialogue that Grace is under 35 but they don't say she's 27 or this or that and so she's playing 30s Mm -hmm. um and I will say that for me the fashion here the wardrobe for the men and the women Mm -hmm. um isn't particularly dated. Like there's some no, stuff, it's but not like really
0: of a, of its time. It's exactly. Not, it seems like when they were styling this movie, they weren't like, okay, this is what's now, and this is what these girls would wear now. It's it's sundresses and suits.
1: And maybe that's because it's such a traditional, uh, a traditional setting, which yeah. is the the a beauty pageant kind of circuit, mm-hmm. um, and also probably you know I so last night I watched the I rewatched the movie regularly, and then I wasn't mm-hmm. tired yet, so I rewatched it with the commentary, <laughs> uh, and there was commentary between Sandra Bullock and Mark Lawrence, at, who mm-hmm. certainly went on to work together many many times, um, and uh, and she talked about you know like. I didn't want to wear the two-piece. I was really mad that I had to do it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I didn't like this. I didn't like that. And yet she she's a producer on the movie and she's still yeah. having to fight those battles. But um, That's really interesting. I think that she probably had respect for her fellow co-star, too, without mm. having to make them... Feel particularly uncomfortable. I know everybody in the movie looks incredible; they're all gorgeous uh, yes. individuals. But like, especially, she keeps calling uh, Benjamin Bratt uh, Benjamin Handsome or something <laughs> like that. You know, throughout <laughs> the whole commentary. But um, but yeah, everybody is very tastefully, classy styled. But they've kind of find that sweet spot of not aging everybody up, but also not aging them down. It's it's yeah. the 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 wardrobe department did an incredible. I think did an incredible job on this movie.
0: What do you
2: say, Hart?
1: No freaking way.
2: Come on, Sparky, why not?
1: Because I'm not going to parade around in a
2: swimsuit like some airhead bimbo that goes by the name of what, Gracie Lou Freebush, and all she wants is world peace? It wouldn't be like that. Come on, you'd be an important member of the undercover team. Yeah,
0: right, in a thong. Hey! The the parallelism there that you have of Sandra being like, I didn't want to wear the two-piece, and neither does Gracie. Like, Gracie Gracie Hart doesn't want to wear the two-piece. Like, Gracie Freebush would do that but like the agent herself wouldn't and so like that is an effective mirroring and so my my question for you is as somebody who has had so many aspects of their career that are like the i'm turning on the dial of like clark wolf the professional not like clark wolf like the, a character perhaps in a sense But a character that wears your name and your face And yourself and your clothes Like, I wanted to hear from you how you came to a comfort with Or if it is a naturally comfortable place For you to sort of have to be The Freebush version mm-hmm. of yourself When perhaps the day-to-day Heart version of you, Gracie Hart version Is is maybe more
1: comfortable in a different kind of garb and a different kind of drag really So that's a really interesting question And I, I This might, I, I don't want the audience To feel like I'm being too self-seeking serious, but they're... (laughs) Listen, people cry here, so like, you're welcome to go as deep as you want. I was wondering if I was gonna cry talking about this movie. I don't know, maybe (laughs) I will. Well, let's find out. Uh, but... Let's um, find out. I think we had Raul Castillo crying about, like, uh, the Outsiders So like oh. Go nuts Well So there is a scene Between Michael Kane And Sandra Bullock Where they're practicing The interview mm-hmm. And she's giving him Smart ass comment After smart ass comment And he finally says You know He kind of like Dresses her down a little And he's yeah. like You know You are an incomplete person mm-hmm. And you don't Don't you have any Don't you have any Pride in yourself Don't you You know With the way that you look With the way that mm-hmm. you present yourself And you know She says you know, you don't know why I am the way that I am and, and all of those things. You know what? What is the difference? Big deal. It is fixed. I'm in the top five. Congratulations
2: to me. But is that enough? Have you no pride in, in yourself? In your, in your presentation? You know what? I'm an FBI agent, alright? I'm not a performing monkey in heels. You're also a person, and an incomplete one at that. In place of friends and relationships, you have sarcasm and a gun. Oh, I have sarcasm when every word that comes out of your mouth is dripping with disdain? Ah, that is because I am a miserable, grumpy elitist, and that works for me. You know what? I don't have relationships because I don't want them. And and, and I don't have friends because I work 24-7, and you have no idea why
1: I am the way that I am. And he says, well, why don't you tell me? And of course she doesn't. She... Pulls a, eats a donut and puts a gun in his face. Yeah, so, he yeah, pulls a gun <laughs> to his head and says, we're done here. Yes. So, but I bring that up because, um, f- so growing up, I will say I just had a best friend. She's still one of my best friends to this day. Um, mm. but she was always the one who had the dates or the mm. fashion or mm. the body or, and we've been best friends since we were 10. Yeah. Um, and That's not me being like falsely... Modest. As somebody who spent their life surrounded by hot friends, I'm
0: perfectly comfortable being like, listen, I had hot friends and I, I wasn't the hot friend. Shit. Yeah. That's how the math shakes out sometimes, guys. I mean,
1: honestly, yeah, when you're kind of the one with glasses who likes Buffy and then you have this like <laughs> smoke show as your best friend, guess who boys aren't talking to? <laughs> um, it's me. <laughs> so, what I will say to answer your question is I have actively over the years, had to sort of rewire my brain and take that pride and consideration. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we we throw, I know it's so cliche, we throw the term self-care around very <laughs> casually right now, but like mm-hmm. there is something to be said for taking care of yourself sure, and sure. believing that you are worth taking care of Mm -hmm. and i think that is the thing that has really been like a lifelong struggle that that scene Mm. in miss congeniality always kind of just needles at me because i'm like oh god i know exactly what they're talking about and so now what i've done is i actually have a garment rack in my bedroom and i pull clothes uh for seasons every season because if it were up to me and I, I realize now I'm actually wearing my uniform which is jeans and a black sweater <laughs> um, but but like if it were up to me I would put on jeans and a black sweater and my hair up and I would look I you know I wouldn't take that extra time and consideration right. in terms of how I want to present myself to the world and and that's just one way like mm-hmm. not saying that all of one's own self worth hinges on clothing or this or that but like that is, that is truly a way that I have to every day remind Mm -hmm. myself like hey take take a second brush like we're saying brush your hair like you know (laughs) take be proud of who you are and be comfortable in your in you know your own skin and your own clothes of course like I'm not trying Mm -hmm. to be somebody that I'm not but I do think there's an element of being the best version of myself Mm -hmm. that I can be on the days that I feel like I'm capable of being that person.
0: Mm -hmm. That leads to something that really interests me, which is that, like, knowing, like, you know, like you said, you're coming up on your, like, your 15 years out here, and you have worked in this industry in so many capacities, and... I wonder, like, how has the sort of evolution been with, like, coming to that point where, like, you find, like, the self-supportive version to be like, I'm going to put these seasons of clothes out and I'm going to brush out the curls. Like, I'm going to do those things because that makes me feel like the version of me that that is most proud of myself. How have you found, or if perhaps you're still working on it, to reach that place of balance between, like... The federal agent and the beauty pageant queen, and where you exist in the middle of that—that that actually makes you feel like your fullest self, as, a spo- as opposed to responding to those sort of external voices about what's telling, who's telling you what's most important.
1: It's it's been fascinating because certainly I mean I as you just said I've and as I mentioned earlier I've been in LA for 15 years. In fact, I I didn't think I would ever like Los Angeles because I thought Los Angeles was entourage. Um, <laughs> yeah. Truly, I was like I, there yeah. there are no normal people in Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah, uh, and that is not true. Uh, and I <laughs> I is love not Los true. Angeles. <laughs> it yeah. is a very it's a it's two a, things can be true. Entourage is bad and yeah. LA is not entourage. Correct. That is exactly right. We love two truths. Uh, We love the two (laughs) truths principle from therapy. Uh, But, you know, so I say that to say, though, I've been here for a long time. And in the past 10 years is when my... I kind of clicked as a host mm-hmm. um, and started that portion of my career. And mm-hmm. over the last, I'd say, three or four years, now I'm sort of really hopefully about to embark in the more narrative side as an actor and as a writer mm-hmm. and so on. But I bring that up because I have been invisible in this town. I have right. felt invisible in this town. And when I say mm-hmm. that, I know, again, I recognize that I am you know, uh, a, a cis white lady from the suburbs. Yes. Um, yes. I totally acknowledge that. However, in a town and an industry where there's always going to be a hundred someones who are more, quote unquote more important or right. more attractive. Yeah. I, I've been an assistant to a teen actress and mm-hmm. felt invisible and old at 26 years old. Felt old at 26. Yeah. <laughs> what? Um, and I have worked so many, I've been behind the scenes of so many things that mm-hmm. I have been actively invisible in mm-hmm. rooms and it feels terrible. But yeah. also then you start to embrace, it's exactly what we talked about again. Like mm-hmm. I'm not the hot friend. Who cares? Who would ever see me? Who would ever want to talk to me? They mm-hmm. all want to talk to somebody else. And so... I think that that has been really that process of undoing that mindset has mm-hmm. been a lot of therapy and yeah. medication and <laughs> practice. Um, mm-hmm. That only now I am finally um, starting to sort of really believe um, mm-hmm. that I am worth you know, talk, the, in my own self-worth, basically. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That is, that's such an, it's an arduous thing to know that you have been pulling yourself through, but is like, that's really wonderful to like hear, like, I like that, like, wow, I'm at like this doorstep where I'm actually, co- I'm collating. All the things I've learned, with all the perspective I've gained, and like with you know with the degree at least to some to some level that as we age the, the sort of fuck it that can enter the equation, sure. <laughs> like, sure that that's coalescing into a place of that for you. And okay, I think this leads to what I wanted. What we we kind of touched on it like before the conversation started about like like producer Sandra Bullock of this movie. This is somebody who in in an early career '90s career we have things like practical magic, we have speed, we have um love potion number 9 like she has become a household name and then this was not an era in 2000 where like the actress producer was as commonplace as it is now like you not every actress had their own production company that they were they didn't have their hello sunshine they didn't have their lucky chap like that kind of self-determination was not necessarily intrinsic to the A lister and so i wanted to hear from you about sort of like the process of where self-determination comes into your own work when you're like okay I'm dealing with invisibility in these rooms. I'm dealing with I'm dealing with the the unique horseshit of Hollywood. I guess at a certain point, I'm punching my own fucking ticket. And I feel like hosting is a part of that, being like, "You know what? We're going to get in where we fit in." So, where at this point, how are you feeling about like your position in that context of self-determination for like making what you want to be, I guess? That's
1: that's that's a really Oh, uh, that's a really something that I am proud of of myself mm-hmm. um, but also like, well, let's see I am not a person that is gonna try to swim upstream. That doesn't sure. mean that I'm gonna take the easy way because that certainly is not no. true. <laughs> um, but but I, if there's one thing Clark Wolf's gonna do, it's work hard. <laughs> indeed. Uh, but what it does mean is like not gonna so act to answer the question with a specific example in 2013. Mm-hmm. 10 mm-hmm. years ago, um, mm-hmm. I saw on Actors Access a casting breakdown for an entertainment host for AMC movie theaters, movie talk show. They are looking for somebody who understands geek culture. They are under asking, you know, uh, they're looking for somebody who uh, has passion about movies, who's knowledgeable. And, and mm-hmm. I was a film major in college and certainly, as I mentioned earlier, have been paying attention to pop culture and entertainment since I was a child. Yes, um, yeah. And so... I realized in that moment seeing YouTube sort of really take hold and seeing the personality, it's Twitter and social media and this is becoming important and uh, on top of that I had a passion for horror um, Mm. which you know, especially given like I'm uh, very aware of what I look like and what we think of a quote unquote horror fan and so that was also something where I was like well I'm really passionate about this and I think I'm knowledgeable and and Mm -hmm. I'm ready to talk about this. So but what I recognize you know in the in in the before times Mm. um there was this idea of like if you're gonna be an entertainment host Mm. then that is what you are and nobody will buy you as anything else you were stuck as that persona same Mm. way like celebrity celebrities didn't used to do commercials right Totally, totally If they did, they did Nespresso in Japan. In your... It was ex- like, yes. I go make a mint over doing doing commercials over in Korea and then I come back here and I'm George Clooney and nobody knew that I did that. That's exactly right. And so, I kind of realized, okay, I haven't ever really clicked in terms of the traditional actor path which is book mm-hmm. a commercial and then a guest star or a co-star and then mm-hmm. another co-star and then a guest star and then some series. You know, that was not the trajectory that I was going. And so, mm-hmm. maybe... the conscious decision to really embrace those things that made me unique
2: um
1: the thing that was challenging was doing that on the internet yeah (laughs) Um, uh, and that certainly there's a lot of like self-determination i think too for anyone who puts themselves out there but especially in the 2013 um in 2013 when i was doing it Hello, everyone. Welcome. My name is Clark Wolf, and today I am joined by Superman's greatest nemesis, John Cryer. Well, you're not Superman's greatest nemesis. Yeah, no, I am. Okay. So <laughs> that's fair. He's in a world of hurt when I'm around. <laughs> Excellent. I like that. He needs a little run for his money every day. Exactly. Now and, again. and so from there, though, it was okay. So where am I? I'm in these rooms where I'm invisible. Well, Mm -hmm. who can I talk to? And, you Mm -hmm. know, and I am not the person, by the way, who can walk into a party, not know anyone and approach someone. You are very Mm -hmm. good at this, Jordan. You (laughs) can make friends with anybody and you just walk right up and you are like, so yourself and you will Mm -hmm. interview somebody right then and there. Which I am sure that's the
0: first conversation I ever have with you was just seeing like, she looks like someone I want to talk to. Which
1: I love about you, um, but that is not (laughs) Not something that I have ever been good at. And so mm-hmm. again, getting over those things and yeah. and you know actively correcting them. But I think so bringing your own seat to the table though, mm-hmm. and taking charge, like we were talking about with Sandra Bullock and, and being a producer and telling the stories she wanted to tell, whether mm-hmm. you know Fortas did, I believe Fortas did do practical magic, but they definitely did Hope Floats. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. Directed by Forrest Whitaker, which is one of my favorite pieces of trivia. <laughs> um, and and practical magic directed directed by Griffin Dunn, another one of, my yeah, favorite, God, my, that's right. one of my favorite pieces of trivia. The point is, Sandra Bullock kind of taking her career into her own hands, doing the roles that she, you know, was would be typecast in, but on her own terms, I think mm-hmm. is really cool. I was listening to that commentary last night, and there's one of my favorite gags in the movie is in the beginning gracie goes into her apartment and she trips over the bed and -hmm. when she's walking into and sandra bullock physical comedian i I mean like we know it but let's say it yeah i mean like and i have a lot of thoughts about this actually because uh, but i will get to them in a second um but she said (laughs) in the commentary she was like i i really felt passionately about that fall. I had them hide (laughs) sandbags for me. So I had something to actually trip over. But I, I, something that I've always loved about her in terms of the physical comedy, which I don't really think people give her enough credit for like i think that there's this this thing that happened from you know probably 2000 on Mm in this this like pretty girls in rom-coms fall down and and, yeah and and i'm like the the thing that makes sandra bullock actually funny because you'll notice actually in most of miss congeniality donald Mm. petrie shoots it wide he shoots it wide because she's actually capable of doing the fall. Right, it, right, yeah. Like when she falls into the side of the bus yes, and then that's up into the, the
0: bus when yes. she's boarding the pageant bus, she's falling. Yes. She's
1: going down. She is a physical actor. She is a very athletic <laughs> actor, and it's something that I've always really admired about her. But but anyway, she was fighting for that pratfall, basically. And mm, okay. she, she but because I think she understood not only the comedy, but mm. her comedy. And what makes her not Julia Roberts, right? Because at that time, these were the two, I would argue, the two big. I guess Legally Blonde comes out in 2000 so Mm -hmm. Reese is kind of coming up as well. Um, Yeah. At least I think. But these like these parallel brunettes because like there's really only one room for one at a time. That's
0: right. There's these two brunettes in in, uh, Julia Roberts and Sandra Bullock. That's right. And
1: so the thing that kind of sets her apart and makes her you know who she is and as Mm -hmm. a producer that's something that I've learned as well is like here's what I'm good at let's set myself up for success even if it's a Challenge, which challenges mm-hmm. are great, but like, there, you know, I, and I, this is a whole tangent that I, we, we don't have to get into but I think there's there's such you know there's all different kinds of acting there's all mm-hmm. different kinds of acting styles and mm-hmm. I think that if you cast the wrong person and set them up to fail yeah. a lot of times that's where good actors give bad performances right mm-hmm. and so one of the things that I admire so much about Sandra Bullock is that she just really knows her strengths um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I think that those shine through in Miss Congeniality we're going to
0: take a quick break. Then we'll be right back to talk more with Clark Wolf about Miss Congeniality and her new film, Malum. Then I'll have one quick thing about a very special recent event here in the city of Los Angeles a live reading of Jennifer's body directed by Karen Kusama herself. Of course, I have to talk about it. So stick around at the end for a little bit of Jennifer's body discussion. Are you tired of being picked on for only wanting to talk about your cat at parties? Do you feel as though your friends don't understand the depth of love you have for your guinea pig? When you look around a room of people, do you wonder if they know sloths only have to eat one leaf a month? Have you ever dumped someone for saying they're just not an animal person? Us too. She's Alexis B. Preston. She's Ella McLeod. And we host Comfort Creatures, the show where you can't talk about your pets too much. Animal trivia is our love language and dragons are just as real as dinosaurs. Tune in to Comfort Creatures every Thursday on Maximum Fun.
1: I'm Lisa Hanawalt. And I'm Emily Heller. Wow, Emily, we've been doing this podcast for 10 years. I know, but hey, don't worry. You can jump in at literally any episode and hear us talk about some of our favorite stuff. Caterpillars becoming butterflies. Martha Stewart flying around in a private jet full of trees. Yes, you heard me right. Trees. Neighbors becoming enemies. Just kidding. (laughs) Whatever messed up stuff we can find on Wikipedia. Our impeccable taste in everything from dogs to TV shows to bodily functions. And horses. Lots and lots of horses. Come for our horned up rants about the world. Stay for the catchy theme songs. You might not learn anything,
0: but we're a good hang. Baby Geniuses. Every other week on MaximumFun.org. Welcome back to Feeling Seen. I'm talking with Clark Wolf, whose turn in the new movie Malum continues her trajectory as a film actor, a topic we were going to get into a little bit more in a moment here. But while Malum is a bloody supernatural horror film, Clark's Feeling Seen pick is about as far from that as you can get. It's Sandra Bullock undercover as Gracie Lou Freebush in Miss Congeniality. You look at movies kind of from this era, from, like, the rom-com heyday. And you look at things like a Miss Congeniality, like a Bring It On. Like, you look at girl movies. Mm -hmm. You look at things that could be construed as chick flicks. And the reviews are middling to poor. Oh, yeah. And these are movies uh, that are beloved Now that like have always been beloved, but when we look back at them, it's not like there's a reclamation of these films in the way that we talk about them now because everybody just kind of agrees who saw it. They were like, no, we love that movie. Miss Congenialia has like a 40 something, 40 something Mm -hmm. percent aggregate rating. So, what I think you have is in this era where you have um, sort of a routine dismissal of. Films targeted at women and gays Honestly like there's this sort of Dismissal of their purchasing Power their sense of humor their mindset Their world experience while you Have somebody who is so Shrewdly and keenly Aware of their skills and abilities in Sandra Bullock who's like No I will play the weirdo I will play the odd duck I will Play the bimbo in, in a way And I will and I am So aware of why and how I'm Good at this but I'm going to be very specific about how I deploy it to where, like, I feel like the specificity and intention of a Sandra Bullock honors that kind of, like, dismissed chick flick category of interest and in acting that's so that has so much savvy and intelligence behind it, like, to watch something like that, the commentary, and be like, none of this is a fucking accident. Like, she didn't just show up and literally stumble her way around set. This is someone who knows their shit. And I think getting the integrity and attention to detail of something like that, I really... Think speaks to the craft that gets applied to these films that they were not honored for critically at the time when they came out.
1: I also think that you know there, she and Mark Lawrence were savvy enough to put into the script of *Miss Congeniality* the criticism of that type of. Page- mm-hmm. Through the vein of the pageant, it, they mm-hmm. are addressing the dismissal and calling these girls uh, stupid and making yeah. fun of them and ad- and addressing the patriarchy's need to fit these women into a very clean, uh, you know, cookie cutter image and mm-hmm. uh, having Grace believe those things too. And then learn yeah, something. She's bought in. She's bought
0: into the line yes. that this is basic bitch stuff. Yes, that, like no self respecting girl would be in one of these. Pageants, yes. I'm not one of them.
2: New Jersey. As you may know, there are many who consider the Miss United States pageant to be outdated and anti feminist. What would you say to them? Oh my God. Well, I would have to say I used to be one of them. And then I came here and I realized that these women are smart terrific people who are just trying to make a difference in the world.
1: And we've become really good friends. Exactly. And I think that it's so clever. I, you know, it's just, again, like, I don't, I, I, if people don't want to appreciate what Miss was doing, that's fine. But mm-hmm. nonetheless, I think that it really matters that in 2000, in this movie, she and Mark Lawrence working together are addressing the criticisms, having Mm -hmm. Grace sort of come around to the idea that feminism and what being a quote-unquote strong woman is doesn't necessarily have to fit, um, you know, one archetype or another. Again, mm-hmm. it's quite. It's very. Uh, it's still. It's narrow by today's uh, lens, and I sure, fully yeah. acknowledge that. Um, but but I also think that at the time, and that's where uh-huh. I think maybe we get caught up in these conversations. Is for the time, um, yeah. it was quite progressive, and I think really impressive um, that she was able to do that as a producer movie star.
0: This movie is such a fascinating time capsule. Mm-hmm of its sociology because it like there there there's that great part on the stage where like they're announcing the top 5 finalists in the pageant and Miss New York doesn't make it and she's marching off that stage and she runs up to the edge of it and she's like I just want all the lesbians out there to know that if I can get here so can you and she like shouts out her girlfriend says I love you and then they're like they're trying to pull her off the stage and one of the producers in the booth is like can we say lesbian on television
2: No! Hey, hey, hey. Get her yeah, off yeah, of there! Yeah. Go to stand! Oh, 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 I mean, no. no! Tina, I love you, baby! got it! I love you, No, Tina!
0: I love Yeah! And we'll be right back with our final Five Lesbians interviews. Bumper, commercial. Can we say lesbians? You got a problem with that? Because, like, that's fucking true like the idea that like saying lesbian on television during a pageant would be like cut her off cut her off but also the movie's doing it and it's having her there and it's using it as a gag but it's also inserting it where it doesn't need to be there there are like swishy jokes at the expense of Michael Caine's character who's very implicitly gay and then when we get that great bit with him and Benjamin Bratt where like he's bringing him backstage he's like don't worry he's with me and we're meant to believe that he's implying they're a couple where it's like that And yet that is also that is a gay character that is like a hero of this story that is on the side of good. And then there's the misogyny of all those FBI agents and Benjamin Bratt like hitting on an undergrad who's writing a paper on him. And yet it's a movie that like impugns the idea that there's one way to be a valid woman in this world. It's like, fuck, there was so much going on in the two that we were at the doorstep of so much while still carrying the baggage of so much. And we were raised
1: in that shit, Clark. That was our entertainment that was shaping us. I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I love casting Ernie Hudson as the police chief, and giving <laughs> Sandy Bullock what for. And I love casting Benjamin Bratt, a Latino actor, as the love uh-huh. interest. And, you know, I love that the, t- the main girls that we spend our time with, again, like, some of the jokes are absolutely uh, problematic, but, you know, sure. we have uh, Miss Hawaii and we have uh, Miss New York and we have Miss California, and then we, you know, and who are all diverse and have important roles. And then, of course, we have our traditional, you know, white women, cis, you know, (laughs) heteronormative white women. And it's just, but again, it's 2000. It's for the time. And uh, I appreciate that at least, like, you know, the movie was taking those things into consideration in that time period.
0: Ladies. Ladies, I would like you to meet Gracie Lou Freebush from New Jersey. This is Karen Kranz, New York. What's up, Jersey? Mary Jo Wright, Texas. Hi there. Belinda
1: Brown, Tennessee. Hi. I
2: like that. Hi. Oh, yeah.
0: Leslie Davis,
1: California. Hey, girl. And Elena Cruson, Hawaii. Aloha. I just want y'all to know, I believe what it says on that sign of the Alamo Dome. We are all winners. The most important thing is that we're getting our issues out there for the people to hear. Oh, I know. Tell
0: me about, let's talk a bit about your work. Tell me about Malum.
1: Yes, okay, so Malum. Malum is a reimagining of the uh, cult favorite horror movie, Last Shift, which uh, mm-hmm. Anthony de Blasi co-wrote and directed back then. And he mm-hmm. co-wrote and directed this time around. And what's really cool about this is, an Anthony has will speak to this as well, but he has said, you know, this is this is something that is very different than the last shift. You know, the mm-hmm. the skeletal structure of it is the same in that the premise of a young woman whose father was a police officer who died tragically or who died and and kind mm-hmm. of was sort of um, his reputation was sullied as he as he died. Um, mm-hmm. And then she decides, okay, I'm gonna take for my first shift. Uh, I'm gonna guard the police station, the abandoned police station that he died in. And what a fucking choice. Yeah, right. Uh, really. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) really powerful choice for sure and then of course it all goes wrong um but you know anthony has talked a lot about how once he wrote the treatment for this new Mm -hmm. reimagining, he didn't think about the first movie ever again. You know, it's, it really stands on its own and, you know, I I kind of talked to him about this a little bit, uh, you know, when I saw the reaction on social media, which again we always take the comment section with a grain of salt. (laughs) Um, Absolutely. But there were a lot of people kind of being like, wait a minute isn't this the last shift? Like oh god, they're making the same movie again? Again, it's not even 10 years old. And the uh-huh. thing that I would love people to know, if that might have been your take on the material or like the situation, is that, mm-hmm. you know, Anthony himself has said, I don't think people understand for how little I made that movie. Uh, the, right. You know, and so the op- opportunity to do this with a with a bigger crew and more resources mm-hmm. and real practical effects um, was just a really great opportunity for him to, as mm-hmm. as a creator. Nice. So
0: Michael Haneke, make the same fucking movie shot for shot so grow
1: up in europe like, and asia <laughs> this is actually quite common this is way more common than it is here but you know some people don't like, necessarily know that
0: we've had we've had three spider-men in 20 years <laughs> that you is guys. great call like great call. We, like let's let's just get past that uh so well okay then so with and you like is it fair to say that you are a you are a cultist. Yes, it in, is in this movie. So I play, which I think is a real meaty, exciting thing to like. Be like, ooh,
1: I'm going to be a a zealous cultist. You know, That's it, a lot to chew on. It was awesome. It was very cool. Yes, it was. It was an incredible opportunity to to do something that, frankly, I knowing me wouldn't have cast me in. You know, I mm, okay. I feel like as actors, we we were told what our types are, and yeah, yeah and cult. I don't know, I just didn't, I would not, I didn't think that I would cast myself as that part, but I will say when I did the audition, which my Uh mom helped me with, by the way, (laughs) my mom read with me, which was hilarious, Um, um, but when I did the audition, I was like, oh, I think I did a really good job, (laughs) you know what I mean? Turns out. Turns out, and then then I did, you know, Anthony and I had known each other like kind of casually on Twitter, but we had, we did not we had not known each other in real life. Right, yeah. and And so it wasn't the type of thing where I could have reached it out to parasocial. him. It was parasocial. It was parasocial. Exactly, like I couldn't <laughs> call him and be like, hey, I'm auditioning for your movie. It was more yeah. like we had friends in common and one of which had directed me um, in something else. And I said, hey, I just auditioned for Anthony's new movie. Would you mind like texting him and just letting him know you liked working with me? And he was like, "Yeah, oh, please. please. Um, which is also, by the way, taking your career into your own hands um that is I think a completely appropriate thing to do you know it's not like inundating a casting director or doing anything inappropriate but it's like yeah if you you know you just directed me in a movie and if you liked working with me. Will you tell him you liked working with me? Because often... that Listen, when you apply for an office job, they're like, please put your references down.
0: And they call your fucking references. Exactly. So, you had a reference contact your future employer. Yes.
1: And when you're making a movie like this, which is a smaller budget, Mm. but also has... is very ambitious, not only in its storytelling, but in its visuals and its practical effects, you want people on set who are down for that experience. um, And who understand that process. And so... Anyway, it, it all worked. I got the callback, and I did the callback, and I booked the part, and that was really, um, really fun and like a cool experience. It's the first time I'd ever done that. Really, I had direct. I had auditioned for Friends before, but yeah. not made it to a callback, and then like with a stranger, and then kind of <laughs> you know, uh, and then booking a role. So so that was that was very cool.
0: What does? having an achievement like that do for you in terms of your view of the possible? Mm. Like, okay, you had not had the experience of that working before. So what does that then, like, as you are, like, like you know, moving toward this threshold where you're like, acting is acting is my my pursuit. It is my passion. It is my career. It is my self-identification. What do experiences like this do to embolden or inform you or shape you for the thing where you're like, yes, I'm going after this?
1: I think it's always a great opportunity to be looking around, seeing how things function on a set. I think actors mm. especially should uh, do their best to understand every role on a movie set. Um, I think that's a
0: great piece of advice. And,
1: and the more you do, the more you realize, you, you become a better actor, uh, technically as well. You Mm -hmm. know, if you understand, okay, here's where the light is and here's where, you know, it sounds kind of cliche and easy, but, but to really appreciate the craft Mm -hmm. that everyone else on set is committed to, um, Mm -hmm. is really important, I think. And for me, every time I go on set, I actively try to remind myself that I belong here, that it is proof that I am belong here. I was invited mm-hmm. here. I earned my way here and I mm-hmm. belong on this set just as much as anybody else does. And I think mm-hmm. so in terms of the question of like emboldening yourself or like you know uh, what is the possible. Every time mm-hmm. you you know like I've spent I've done so many movies where I did one day on set which was amazing mm-hmm. and I and mm-hmm. I was so grateful for all of those opportunities. But this time I did like 5 days on set and mm-hmm. I was like cool and I had this Which like for a small movie, that's a big chunk of filming so yeah it really was <laughs> and so it was but that was like okay well you know what next time I hope that I get to do 10 days on set or yeah, you know yeah. but yes there there it there absolutely is an affirmation of the possible um mm-hmm. every time you get on set and that's what I would tell anybody not just an actor you know yeah anytime you're there think remind yourself I belong here and I'm here to do a job and I'm here to be a part of a team um mm-hmm. And uh, and I think that that will make your work so much better, again, in front of or behind the camera.
0: Thank you so much, Clark, for taking the time to talk to me today about all of this. I really appreciate oh, it.
1: I really appreciate it, too. Thank you for for having me, and thank you for allowing me to talk about Malum and Miss Congeniality, the two most polar opposite <laughs> movies you could possibly... You have seen it. Can you think of a movie more opposite than Miss
0: Congeniality? No, like, I can't I mean, off the top of my head do that. <laughs> and you can see it. It does begin a
1: theatrical run on March 31st, correct? It does, March 31st. And, y'all, just so you know, I've, we've been kind of like underlining this when we say it becomes a, begins a theatrical run it's a real theatrical run like it's not going to be on VOD in a week. Congratulations! Thank That's you! That's very exciting! It's very exciting so if you can you know support the independent horror space in theaters yep. you know like the Skinnamarinks and the Winnie the Pooh Get but. out
0: there and do your Marink duty, duty everybody
1: but yeah it's we're really <laughs> on, only going to be in theaters um, for a while so if you can please seek it out and uh it's gonna be wild it's gonna be a good time it's crazy this movie's crazy
0: yeah the the lead performance she really has to she puts this performance on her back and just like terrors her way through it and she's phenomenal jesse sula we love her well thank you again clark for coming on thank today. you jordan Thanks again to Clark Wolf. Malam is still showing in theaters across the country, so take a look and see if there's a place near you. You can catch it on a big screen. As always, support Independent Cinema. And now, one quick thing before I go. Guys, there was recently a live reading performance of Jennifer's Body here in Los Angeles. Karen Kusama herself directed it which means she was the one reading through like all of the the the, the stage direction and and the and the blocking and all the descriptions and everything she was the one reading like are your narrator through um and the cast included um dylan Minnette was chip uh made chin-amic, was in the house, reading as uh, Miss Lesnicki, Tony Lesnicki, Needy's mom, and various other sundry characters. She was also Chip's little sister, Camille, screaming, Chip, your penis cheese, at him, and... Uh, of course, I would say, of course, Colin Gray in the film play by Kyle Gallner, he was Paul Shear at this live reading. And I gotta say, you guys, Paul Shear was really the scene stealer. That's a that's a comic who knows the stage, and he was giving the people everything. Uh, he was also the J.K. Simmons part. He was the high school teacher, and he did a fantastic job. Uh, and your main event, your stars for the night, uh, Ella Purnell, my Jackie from yellow jackets was needy Lesnicki uh following in the the grand uh beautiful big eyed tradition of amanda Seyfried uh playing needy and then jennifer herself jennifer check was a uh, hot girl culture ambassador rachel sennett it was such a fun night uh it was the evening was introed by karen and diablo cody together um diablo got Emotional, talking about how uh, she said that, like, her, her favorite thing to hear from people about her work is when they come up to her and tell her how much they love Jennifer's body and how much it means to her. And she was like, and she started choking up, being like, I, I cry just thinking about it. Um, And then Karin said wonderful things about the, the movie and the script, as she always does. Such a true believer in this movie. And for all the joy of the performances, my favorite part of the night, actually, was just getting to hear... Karin be the narrator for Diablo Cody's script that was actually just like oh wow like it was cool to hear these actors some of which I, I love so much reading this beloved dialogue that I cherish but to hear Karin read aloud this script that she loves so much and has just praised for so many years it's just like this is a fantastic script this is fantastic writing that for me was the real privilege of the night and um the other privilege of the night which was unexpected was that after introducing the uh, show and it getting started uh, was Diallo Cody coming into the audience and sitting right next to me in the open chair that was just just hanging out and me feeling overwhelmed uh, with giddiness and uh, nerves at her being there. Don't worry, it did not dampen my enjoyment of the evening. it only heightened it. And it was so much like I was so excited when I did a I did a ten year retrospective, uh, Q&A for Jennifer's Body in 2019 at Beyond Fest here in LA and Karin and Megan Fox came and participated in that conversation uh, one of the best days of my entire life and one of the highlights of that day was right before we went on stage everybody kind of milling around in the wings while the movie was still playing and um, watching Megan watch the screen right before we walked out and just having this the most wonderful sort of look of delight on her face at what she was seeing like sincerely enjoying the movie while also finally hearing people sincerely enjoy watching it. Like, shouting out dialogue along with it, cheering, whooping, laughing, and watching her watch that made me start to cry before we went on stage that night. Um, And then to to sit next to Diablo Cody while watching this live read of jennifer's body with karen reading the script up there with them and her just having expressed like how emotional it, and happy it makes her like more than to hear like compliments about any of her other work that that hearing compliments about jennifer's body sets it apart stands apart from sort of anything else and then to watch her sincerely enjoying herself like laughing throughout the night like cheering for the performers having a good time and Being in proximity to her while she was delighting in all of these fans. Like, you're you're at this event, you are a true believer. And, like, you probably always have been. So to watch her watch the exact audience she was deprived of, love her work, in a live setting like that was so special and yes during the applause at the end i did look over at her and just say thank you about four times um just thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you for doing for making this so that was a real uh, a bucket list item i didn't know i had that i was able to check off so thank you film independent for making that happen what a night and they also like were give they were selling uh posters for the event in the uh foyer after and famously if you're a jennifer's body fan you are generally disappointed with the output of official posters for that film so i'm like steadily trying to acquire cool jennifer's body posters that i find so got another one for the collection that is our show but i got one quick thing to say finally if you are a max fund member we just had that pledge drive if you are a Max MaxFun member at the $10 level or above and you want to order some additional show stickers, the last day to do that is tomorrow, Friday, April 14th. We are sunsetting the Max MaxFun drive. Maybe you want to get your hands on a canonically queer sticker, the official sticker of the Feeling Scene podcast. Go to MaximumFun.org to make that happen. And remember that proceeds go to support food banks across the U.S. And we've done it. That's my last note to you. You can follow us on Twitter at Feeling Pod or send us an email at feelingcene at MaximumFun.org. If you want to follow me, I'm Jor Crew on Twitter. Our theme music is by Andrew Epin. This show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher, and this is a production of Maximum Fun.
2: MaximumFun.org Comedy and Culture.